0: Welcome! You are listening to Genesius Guild's classic drama, On the Air. This is your host, Misha Hooker, bringing you an hour of audio-only theater. The Genesius Guild is a Quad Cities institution. Founded in 1956 by Don Wooten, the Guild has been producing classic theater every summer since then. Our normal core programming is live theater outdoors in Lincoln Park, next to Augustana College. All our performances are free to the public. And our organization welcomes newcomers both as audience and as participants. Although we had to cancel our planned 2020 season because of the COVID-19 crisis, at the time of these recordings we were hard at work getting ready for the summer of 2021. For more information on our past, present, and future, see the Genesius Guild website, genesius.org. Today's presentation is part of our ongoing series of classic American theater, especially short plays produced in the early 20th century by the Provincetown players. As we have mentioned in earlier programs, two Davenport, Iowa natives, Susan Glaspell and George Cram Cook, started a theater group in 1915 in Provincetown on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It turned out to have a profound influence on American drama forever. This visionary new company was the Provincetown Players, a troupe that fostered creativity in many forms. For today's program, rather than giving you multiple scripts to fill a completely theatrical bill, we will present to you a short play, followed by a poetry recitation. The play is King Arthur's Socks by Floyd Dell, who also came from the Quad Cities area. More specifically, he lived first in Barrie, Illinois, then in nearby Quincy, but his family moved to Davenport in 1903, when he was high school-aged. He soon began working for newspapers, and after a few years of associating with Quad City's intellectual circles, he moved to Chicago and then to New York, Greenwich Village to be precise. He became re-associated with Susan Glassbell and Jig Cook as they founded the Provincetown Players, and today's script was first produced in the fall of 1916, in the company's new Greenwich Village headquarters. The script is a satirical picture of love affairs somewhat uncomfortably transformed in a 20th century setting, but palpably revisiting the love triangle of King Arthur, Guinevere, and Sir Lancelot. In our performance today, the role of Gwen, or Guinevere, Robinson is played by Chelsea Ward, Vivian Smith is played by Liz Sager, Mary by Anna Schneider, and Lancelot Jones by yours truly, Misha Hooker. The narrator is John Turner. The voices in these dramas were recorded during the winter of 2020-21. We had no professional studio equipment, and because of COVID-19 and social distancing, everyone recorded themselves at home with whatever equipment they could find. But we are more than pleased to be presenting this drama to you. And now, without further ado, we bring you Floyd Dell's King Arthur's Socks. Oh, it's me for the
1: simple life, so goodbye to the lights and the girlies and pines, every tap-o-dough dinner just makes me grow thinner. And the old doctor tells me I'm all out of gear, I can't even have beer. But i'm not complaining i'm just going and training if i'm not with the angels a year
2: from today why i'll do it all over again scene the living room of a summer cottage in camelot maine a pretty lady of between 25 and 35 is sitting in a big chair in the lamplight darning socks She is Mrs. Arthur Robinson, or, to give her own name, Guinevere. She is dressed in a light summer frock, and with her feet elevated on a settle, there is revealed a glimpse of slender, silk-clad ankles. It is a pleasant summer evening, and one might wonder why so attractive a woman should be sitting at home, darning her husband's socks, there being so many other interesting things to do in this world. The girl standing in the doorway, smiling amusedly, seems to wonder at it, too. The girl's name is Vivian Smith.
3: Hello, Gwen. Hello, Vivian. Come in. I'm just passing by. Oh, come in and console me for a minute or two anyway. I'm a widow at present. Arthur gone to New York again?
2: She enters and lounges against the mantelpiece.
3: Yes, for over Sunday. And I'm lonely. You don't seem to mind. Think of a woman being that happy, darning her husband's socks. Stay and talk to me. Unless you've
4: something else going on. It's been ages since I've seen you.
3: I'm afraid I have got something else on, Gwen. I'll give you one guess. You can't pretend to be arting at this hour of the night. I can pretend, but I won't. No, it's not the pursuit of art. It's the pursuit of a man, Gwen dear. Oh.
4: Well... Don't try to talk like a person in a Shaw play. I don't like this rigmarole about pursuit. Say you're in love like a civilized human being and take a cigarette and tell me about it.
2: Vivian lights the cigarette.
3: I don't know whether it's so civilized at that. You know me, Gwen. When I paint, do I paint like a lady or like a savage? Have it your own way.
4: But don't tell me you're going in for any of this free love stuff because I won't believe it.
3: You're not that kind of a fool, Vivian.
2: She darns placidly away.
3: No, I'm not. I'm not a fool at all, Gwen, dear. I know exactly what I want, and it doesn't include being disowned by my family and having my picture in the morning papers. Free love? No, not at all. I want to be married. Well, for heaven's sake, who is it? Is it possible that it's not being gossiped about? You really haven't heard. Not a syllable. Then I shan't tell you. But why? Because you'll think I've a nerve to want him. Nonsense. I don't
4: know any male person in these parts who's good enough
3: for you, Vivian. Thanks, darling. That's just what I think in my calmer moments. But mostly I'm so crazy about him that I'm almost humble. Can you imagine it? Well, what's the matter then?
4: Doesn't he reciprocate? You don't look like the victim of a hopeless
3: passion. Oh, he's in love with me, all right. But he doesn't approve of being. He thinks it interferes with his work. What nonsense? I don't know about that, but I don't care if it does interfere with his work. I don't interfere with Arthur's work. Arthur's a professor of philosophy. Besides, Arthur was somebody before he met you. I'm dealing with a man who's still on the make. He thinks if he had three years to dig at it without me around to distract him, he'd put something big across. I shouldn't be at all surprised. Well... Why don't you give him his three years? Gwen, what do you think I am? An altruist? A benefactor of humanity? Well, I'm not. I'm a woman. Three years? I've given him three days and threatened to marry a man back at home if he doesn't make up his mind before then.
4: Heavens, Vivian, you are a savage.
3: Well, did it work? Not a bit. He's a man of principle. He's bought a ticket for Boston and he's packing tonight to start in the morning says he won't be bullied. But Vivian- Oh, don't condole with me, Gwen, dear. It's twelve hours before that morning train, and I'm not through with him yet.
4: What are you going to do?
3: Nothing crude, Gwen, dear. Oh, there's lots of things I can do. Cry, for instance. He's never seen a woman cry. Maybe you think I can't cry. I've never seen you do it, and it's hard to imagine you crying. I never wanted anything badly enough to cry for it before. But I could cry my heart out for him. I've absolutely no pride left. Well, I'm going to have him. That's all.
2: She throws her cigarette into the grate and starts to go.
3: And what about his work? Suppose it's true? Suppose it is. Then his work will have to get along the best way it can. Do I look like a loser or a winner? I'll bet on you, Vivian. Thanks, darling. And bye-bye. I'm going to Lance's studio. There, I told you. It's Lancelot Jones, of course. Well, I don't care. Wish me luck.
2: She goes.
4: Lancelot
2: Jones. She sits still a moment, then resumes the darning of socks. Enter from the side door Mary, the pretty servant girl, who fusses about the back of the room.
5: Going, Mary? No, ma'am. I don't feel like going out tonight. Why, Mary? What is the matter? (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, ma'am. I I can't help it. I wasn't going to say anything, but when you spoke to me... What is it, Mary? I'm a wicked girl. Yes? Tell me about it. Shall I tell you? Yes, I I think you'd better tell me. I, I wanted to tell you.
2: She comes to Guinevere and sinks beside her chair.
5: I wanted to tell you before Mr. Robinson came back. I couldn't tell you if he was here. My husband? Are you afraid of him, Mary? Yes, ma'am. Oh, poor Arthur. He does
4: frighten people. He looks so... Just. That's what it is, ma'am.
5: He he always makes me think of my father. Is your father a just man too, Mary? Yes, ma'am. He's that just I'd never dare breathe a word to him about what I've done. He put me out of the house. (laughs) Is it so bad, Mary? What you've done? Yes, ma'am.
4: Do you... Do you want to tell me who it is? It's Mr. Jones, ma'am. Jones. Jones! You don't mean... Do you mean Mr. Lancelot Jones?
5: Yes, ma'am. Oh, this is terrible. When did it happen? It... It, it sort of happened last night, ma'am. It was this way. No uh, No details. No, ma'am. I I just wanted to tell you how it was. You see, ma'am, I went to his studio. Please, Mary, please. Yes, ma'am. I don't mean that I blame you. One can't help
4: falling in love. No, you can't, can you? But Lancelot, Mr. Jones, should have behaved better than that. Should he, ma'am? He certainly should. I wouldn't have thought it of him. So that is why, Mary. Do you know? I don't know that I ought to tell you. Still, I don't know why I should protect him. Do you know that he is going away? No, ma'am. Is he? Yes, in the morning. You must go to his
5: studio tonight. Uh, No, you can't do that.
4: Oh, this
5: is terrible. I'm glad he's going away, Mrs. Robinson. Are you? Yes, ma'am. Why? Because I'd be so ashamed every time I saw him.
2: Guinevere looks at her with interest.
5: Really?
4: I didn't know people felt that way. Perhaps it's the right way to feel, but I didn't suppose anybody did. So you want him to go?
5: Yes, ma'am. And you don't feel you've any claim on him? No, ma'am. Why should I?
4: Well, I don't know, but one is supposed to, marry. You are a modern woman. Am I? I? I should think, after
5: what happened. That's just it, ma'am. If it had been anything else. But after what happened, I just want never to see him again. You see, ma'am, it was this way. Is it necessary to tell me that, Mary? I I know what happened. But you don't, ma'am. That's just it. I've been trying to tell you what happened, ma'am. Good heavens, was it so horrible.
4: Well, go on, then. What did happen? Nothing, ma'am.
5: Nothing? That's just it. B- but I, I don't understand. You said a while ago, Mrs. Robinson, that you can't help being in love. And it's true. I tried every way to stop being, but I couldn't. So last night, I, I went to his studio. Yes? I told you I was a wicked girl, Mrs. Robinson. You know I have a key to let myself in to clean up for him. So last night I just went in and he, he was asleep. Yes? I, shall I tell you, ma'am? Yes, you must tell me now. And I.
2: She sits kneeling, looking straight ahead, and continues in a dead voice.
5: I couldn't help it. I put my arms around him. Yes? And he put his arms around me, Mrs. Robinson, and kissed me. And I didn't care for anything then. I was glad. And then... Yes? And then he woke up and was angry with me. He swore at me. And then he laughed. And kissed me again and put me out of the room. Yes, yes, and that... That that was all? I came home. I thought I would have died. I, I knew I had been wicked. Oh, Mrs. Robinson. Poor child, it's all right. You aren't so wicked as you think. Oh, I'm I'm so glad. It's just the same, Mrs. Robinson. I wanted to be wicked. Never
4: mind, Mary. We all want to be wicked at times, but something always happens. It's all right. You're a good girl, Mary. So there, stop crying. Of course, of course, I might have known... Lancelot. We're too civilized. Stand up and let me look at you. Yes, ma'am. You're a very good-looking girl, Mary. So, he laughed and gave you a kiss and led you to the door.
5: Well, go to bed and think no more about it. It's all right. Do you really think so, Mrs. Robinson? Is it the same thing if you want to be wicked? Oh, you're talking like my husband now, Mary. It's only
4: a professor of philosophy who. No. <laughs> it's not the same thing as every woman knows. Run along, child. Yes,
5: ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Good night, ma'am. She goes. Good night, Mary.
2: She returns to her darning. She smiles to herself, then becomes serious, stops work, and looks at the clock.
4: Vivian! Oh, Vivian's tears! Well...
2: She shrugs her shoulders, goes on working. Then puts down her work, rises, and walks restlessly about the room. Presently, a knock at the door. She turns suddenly. The knock is repeated. She is silent, motionless for a moment. Come. Enter a young man.
4: Lancelot!
2: Guinevere! They go up to each other, and he takes both her hands. They stand that way for a moment.
0: Darning King Arthur's socks,
2: I see. Whenever it releases herself and goes back to her chair.
4: Yes. Sit down.
0: Where's his royal highness?
4: New York. Why don't you ever come to see us?
0: Charming domestic picture.
4: Don't be silly.
0: I'm... I'm going away.
4: Are you? I'm sorry. Don't you like our little village?
0: Thought I'd... Stop in to say goodbye?
4: That's very sweet of you.
0: I've got to go back and pack up. Not really. Going in the morning.
4: Why this haste? The summer's just begun. I hear you've been doing some awfully good things. I was going over to see them.
0: Thanks. Sorry to disappoint you, but I've taken it into my head to leave.
4: You're not going tonight, anyway. Sit down and talk to me.
0: All right. What? Shall I talk about
4: your work? You're not
0: interested in my work.
4: Your love affairs, then,
0: and don't want to.
4: Then read to me. There's some books on the table.
0: The Concept of Happiness by Professor Arthur B. Robinson. Shall I read that?
4: I gather that you are not as fond of my husband as I am, Lancelot, but try to be nice to me anyway. Read some poetry.
0: Mm. It needs no maxims drawn from Socrates to tell me this is madness in my blood.
2: Guinevere looks up
0: inquiringly. Nor does what wisdom I have learned from these serve to abate my most unreasoned mood. What would I of you, what gift could you bring, that to await you in the common street sets all my secret ecstasy a-wing into wild regions of sublime retreat? And if you come, you will speak common words. He stops. <clears throat> and flings the book across the room. She looks up again.
4: Don't you like it? Hell. Try something else.
0: No, I can't read. Guinevere bends to her darning. Shall I go? No. Do you enjoy seeing me suffer?
4: Does talking to me make you suffer? Yes. I'm sorry.
0: Then let me go.
4: No. Sit there and talk to me like a rational human being. I'm
0: not a rational human being. I'm a fool. A crazy fool.
4: I like crazy fools.
0: I'm going to be married. Really? Tomorrow. In Boston. To Vivian.
4: I congratulate you.
0: I am in love with her. Naturally. She is in love with me.
4: I trust so. Then
0: why? In the name of God, should I be at this moment aching to kiss you? Tell me that.
4: It does seem strange.
0: It is absolutely insane.
4: Are you quite sure it's all true?
0: I'm sure that I never would commit the rashness of matrimony without being in love. Very much in love. And I'm sure I would not stand here and tell you what a fool I am about you if that weren't true... Do you think I want to be this way? It's too preposterous. I didn't want to tell you. I wanted to go. You made me stay. Well, now you know what a blithering lunatic I am.
4: It is lunacy, isn't it? It is. sheer lunacy. In love with one woman and wanting to kiss another. Disgraceful, in fact.
0: I know what you think. You think that I'm paying you an extremely silly and caddish compliment. Or else... No,
4: I don't. I believe you when you say that about me. And I don't imagine for one moment that you're not in love with Vivian. I know you are. I could pretend to myself that you weren't. Just as you've tried to pretend to yourself that I'm not really in love with Arthur. But you know I am, don't you? Yes. Well, that's a lot. There are two lunatics here. It's almost funny. I don't know why I'm telling you, but... You? Yes. I want to kiss you, too.
0: But... This won't do, as long as there was only one of us. There's
4: been two all along, Lancelot. I have more self-control than you. That's all. But I broke down tonight. I, I knew I oughtn't to tell you now, but I knew I would.
2: You too. Huh. They have circled about to the opposite side of the room.
0: Oh, well,
4: Lance, I fancy we aren't the only ones. It's a common human failing, no doubt. Lots of people must feel this way.
0: What do they do about it?
4: Well, it all depends on what kind of people they are. Some of them go ahead and kiss. Others think of the consequences.
0: Well, let's think of the consequences, then. What are they? I forget.
4: I don't. I'm keeping them very clearly in mind. In the first place? Yes. What was it? Uh, Yes, in the first place, we would be sorry. And in the second place... In
0: the second place, uh uh-huh.
4: In the second place... I... I forget what is in the second place, and in the third place we mustn't. Isn't that enough?
0: Yes, I know we mustn't, but I feel that we are going to... Oh,
4: please, don't say that. But
0: isn't it true? Don't you feel that too? Yes. Then we're lost. No, we must think. I can't think. Try. It's no use. I can't even remember in the first place now. Then, before we do remember...
2: He takes her in his arms. They kiss each other. A long, long, long kiss. Sweetheart.
4: That was in the second place, Lancelot. If we kiss each other, we'll begin saying things like that, and perhaps believing them. What did I say? Something foolish. What, darling? But there, you did it again. Stop, or I shall be doing it too. And I want to, you know?
0: Want what? (laughs)
4: To call you sweetheart and believe I'm in love with you.
0: Well, aren't you?
4: I-, I mustn't be.
0: But aren't you? Oh, I... She closes her
2: eyes and he draws her toward him. Suddenly, she frees herself.
4: Uh, no, Lancelot, no. I am not in love with you and you're not in love with me. We're just two wicked people who want to kiss each other.
0: Wicked? I don't feel wicked. Do you?
4: No. I just feel natural. But it's the same thing.
2: He approaches her with outstretched arms. She retreats behind the chair.
4: No, no. Remember that I am married. I don't care. Then remember that you're engaged.
0: Engaged?
4: Yes. To Vivian?
0: So I am.
4: And you're in love with her? That's true. You see now that you can't kiss me, don't you? Yes. Then thank God, for I was about to let you. And that's in the fifth place. That if we kiss each other once, we are sure to do it again. And again. And again. Now go over there and sit down and we'll talk sanely and sensibly.
0: Heavens. What a moment. I'm not over it yet.
4: Neither am I. We're a pair of sillies, aren't we? I never thought I should ever behave in such a fashion. Uh, It was my
0: fault. I shouldn't have started it.
4: I'm as much to blame as you.
0: I'm sorry. Are you? I ought to be. But I'm not, exactly.
4: I'm not either, I'm ashamed to say. The the truth is,
0: I want to kiss you again.
4: And I. But do you call this talking sensibly?
0: I suppose it isn't. Well, go ahead with your sixth place, then. Only for heaven's sake, say something that will really do some good.
4: Very well. Then, Lancelot, do you really want to elope with me? Very much. That's not the right answer. You know perfectly well you want to do nothing of the sort. What? Scandalize everybody and ruin my reputation and break Vivian's heart?
0: No. I don't suppose I really want to do any of those things.
4: Then, do you want to conduct a secret and vulgar intrigue that will end either mutual disgust or in the divorce court? No.
0: Not at all. You
4: realize, of course, that this madness of ours is something that may last no longer than a month perhaps well then do you still want to kiss me think what you are saying for i may let you lancelot and that kiss may be the beginning of a catastrophe do you want a kiss that brings with it grief and fear and danger and heartbreak
0: no i only want a kiss no lancelot
4: no you have lost your chance kiss me never If you had believed for one moment that it was worth all those things i should have believed it too and kissed you and not cared what happened i should have risked the love of my husband and the happiness of your sweetheart without a qualm and who knows it might have been worth it an hour from now i shall be sure it wasn't i shall be sure it was all a blind wicked folly but now i am a little sorry i wanted to gamble with fate i wanted us to stake our two lives recklessly upon a kiss and see what happened and you couldn't it wasn't a moment of beauty and terror to you you didn't want to challenge fate you just wanted to kiss me go
0: you women because you are afraid you accuse us of being cowards what do you mean you you want a love affair Your common sense tells you it's folly. Your reason won't allow it. So you want your common sense to be overwhelmed, your reason lost. You want to be swept off your feet. You want to be made to do something you don't approve of. You want to be wicked, and you want it to be someone else's fault. Tell me, isn't it true?
4: Yes, it is true. Except for one thing, Lancelot. I wanted you to sweep me off my feet. To make me forget everything. It was wrong. It was foolish of me to want it, but I did. Only if you had done it, you would not have been to blame. I should have loved you forever because you could do it. That is all. And now, because you couldn't, I despise you. Now, you know. Go. Uh,
0: No, what if you're- you you do not despise me you're angry with me and angry with yourself because you couldn't quite forget king arthur you're blaming me and i'm blaming you isn't it amusing
4: you're right Lancelot. it's my fault oh i envy women like like whom like vivian like mary who can risk making fools of themselves who forget everything and don't care what they do I suppose that is love, and I'm not up to it. You are different. Different. Yes, I'm a coward. I couldn't have gone to your room like Mary. I couldn't have dared your scorn like Vivian. I'm not primitive enough. Despise me. You have a right to, and please go.
0: I'm afraid I'm not very primitive either, Gwen. I'm
4: afraid you're not, Lance. That's the trouble with us. We're civilized. Hopelessly civilized. We had a spark of the old barbaric flame, but it went out. We put it out, quenched it with conversation. No, Lancelot, we have talked our hour away. It's time for you to pack up. Goodbye.
2: He kisses her hand, lingeringly.
4: You may kiss my lips if you like. There's not the slightest danger. We were unnecessarily alarmed about ourselves. We couldn't misbehave going
0: damn you goodbye he goes out
4: well that did it if he had stayed after that
2: good heavens she shudders smiles and goes to the chair she is placidly darning arthur's socks when the curtain falls
1: Said you have to leave town for your nerves are run down. No fear, I'm not going to die. I just dropped in to say goodbye. So goodbye to the lights and the glorious night. It's the price I am paying for my cabaret. And the old doctor tells me my liver is queer. I must rest.
0: In the play you have just heard, some lines of poetry were read. These are actually lines from a sonnet written by Arthur Davison Fick, yet another Davenport native who was active in literary circles in the early 20th century and especially famous for his sonnet writing. Fick became acquainted with East Coast poet Edna St. Vincent Millay, and the two of them had a brief but intense affair. Meanwhile, Edna St. Vincent Millay was also active with the Provincetown Players, as she appeared as an actress in one of Floyd Dell's scripts and also contributed dramas of her own to produce, the most famous being an anti-war takeoff on the Commedia dell'arte called Aria da Capo. Thus, Fick and Malay's paths crossed and recrossed in close proximity to the Provincetown players, but they were both most famous as poets. The second part of today's program, therefore, consists of alternating poems by each of the two, beginning with the sonnet quoted in King Arthur's Socks. The poems were not written specifically to respond to each other, but their alternating perspectives give a kind of fictional poetic dialogue for your listening enjoyment. Fix poems are read by John Turner and Millais by Liz Sager. Here then are some selected short poems by Arthur Davison Fick and Edna St. Vincent Millay. See the credits online for the full specific listing of references.
2: It needs no maxims drawn from Socrates to tell me this is madness in my blood. Nor does what wisdom I have learned from thee serve to abate my most unreasoned mood. What would I of you? What gift could you bring that to await you in the common street sets all my secret ecstasy a-wing into wild regions of sublime retreat? And if you come, you will speak common words— smiling as quite ten thousand others smile and I poor fool shall thrill with ghostly cords and with a dream my sober sense beguile and yet being mad I am not mad alone a light you come that folly dwarfs my
6: own
5: Love, if
3: I weep, it will not matter, and if you laugh, I shall not care. Foolish am I to think about it, but it is good to feel you there. Love, in my sleep, I dreamed of waking. White and awful, the moonlight reached over the floor, and somewhere, somewhere there was a shutter loose. It screeched, swung in the wind, and no wind blowing. I was afraid and turned to you, put out my hand to you for comfort, and you were gone. Cold, cold as dew, under my hand the moonlight lay. (laughs) Love, if you laugh, I shall not care, but if I weep it will not matter. Ah, it is good to feel you there.
2: I am in love with high, far-seeing places that look on plains half sunlight and half storm, in love with hours when from the circling faces veils pass and laughing fellowship grows warm. You who look on me with grave eyes where rapture and April love of living burn confessed, (laughs) the gods are good. The world lies free to capture Life has no walls. Take me to your breast. Take me. Be with me for a moment's span. I am in love with all unveiled faces. I seek the wonder at the heart of man. I would go up to the far-seeing places. While youth is ours, turn toward me for a space. The marvel of your rapture-lighted face.
3: of taxes and I call you friend well such you are but well enough we know how thick about us root how rankly grow those subtle weeds no man has need to tend that flourish through neglect and soon must send perfume too sweet upon us and overthrow our steady senses how such matters go we are aware and how such matters end yet shall be told no meager passion here. With lovers such as we forevermore, Isolde drinks the draught, and Guinevere receives the table's ruin through her door. Francesca, with a loud surf at her ear, lets fall the colored book upon the floor.
2: devoted in incessant care, has showered grotesqueness round us day by day. If we turn grave a hurdy-gurdy's air is sure to rasp across the words we say, if we stand tense on brink of perilous choices, tis never where miltonic headlands loom, but mid the sound of comic opera voices or the cheap blaze of some hairdresser's room, heaven knows what moonlit turrets hazed in bliss saw Lancelot and Knight and Guinevere? I only know our first impassioned kiss was in your cellar, rummaging for beer. The seaborne one must hate us, but the troll of modern life acclaims us from his soul.
3: To the golden vessel of great song let us pour all our passion breast to breast let other lovers lie in love and rest not we articulate so but with the tongue of all the world the churning blood the long shuddering quiet the desperate hot palms pressed sharply together upon the escaping guest the common soul unguarded and grown strong longing alone is singer to the lute let still on nettles in the open sigh the minstrel that in slumber is as mute as any man and love be far and high that else forsakes the topmost branch a fruit found on the ground by every passerby
2: the night, the night of all my dreams, across the lofty spaces of that room you stole. And where the moonlight's silver streams cloudily slanted in upon the gloom, more silver radiance met them where you moved. And all the beauty of that hazed west, wherein the moon was sinking, lay approved because thus lay your pale, slow, curving breast. I shall remember. When death must cover my soul and body With its rayless tide The madness and the peace of that wild lover Drunken with life's whole wonder at your side I shall remember in life's stormiest deep Even as that night I knew you there In sleep Mm.
3: Not with libations, but with shouts and laughter we drenched the altars of love's sacred grove, shaking to earth green fruits, impatient after the launching of the colored moths of love. Love's proper myrtle and his mother's own we bound about our irreligious brows, and fettered him with garlands of our own, and spread a banquet in his frugal house. Not yet the god has spoken, but I fear though we should break our bodies in his flame and pour our blood upon his altar, here henceforward is a grove without a name, a pasture to the shaggy goats of Pan, whence flee forever a woman and a man.
2: It's not lust that leads me, it is not evil drives me, but beauty, 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 calling afar off. Prophet and poet know my urge and torture, hermit and dreamer are my errant brothers, for I am mad with unattained beauty, calling afar off. The fairer morrow, the horizons lighted beyond old borders, the world's one savior, beauty, calling.
6: A far off.
3: Only until this cigarette is ended. A little moment at the end of all. While on the floor, the quiet ashes fall. And then in firelight, till a lance extended... Bizarrely, with the jazzing music blended, the broken shadow dances on the wall. I will permit my memory to recall the vision of you, by all my dreams attended. And then adieu, farewell. The dream is done. Yours is a face of which I can forget the color and the features, every one. The words, not ever, and the smiles, not yet. But in your day, this moment is the sun upon a hill after the sun has set.
2: Like him whose spirit in the blaze of noon still keeps the memory of one secret star, That in the dusk of a remembered June Thrilled the strange hour with beauty from afar. And perilous spells of twilight snare his heart, And wistful moods his common thoughts subdue, And life seethes by him utterly apart. Last night I dreamed, today I dream of you. Gleams downward, strike, bright bubbles upward hover Through the charmed air far sea winds cool my brow. Invisible lips tell me I shall discover today a temple, a mystery, a vow. The cycle rounds, only the false seems true. Last night I dreamed, today I dream of you.
3: Once more into my arid days like dew, like wind from an oasis, or the sound of cold sweet water bubbling underground, a treacherous messenger, the thought of you comes to destroy me. Once more I renew firm faith in your abundance, whom I found long since to be just one other mound of sand, whereon no green thing ever grew. And once again, and wiser in no wise, I chase your colored phantom on the air and sob and curse and fall and weep and rise and stumble pitifully onto where miserable and lost with stinging eyes once more I clasp and there is nothing there.
2: that dim monument where Tybalt lies I would that we lay sleeping side by side and that the loveliness that never dies there in our silent effigies had died for now your living beauty too much stirs across my sight and I grow dumb with tears and I am homesick for old sepulchers now that your lips wake the forgotten years love that is perfect comes thus to the land within whose borders only death can be wherefore i say hold out to me your hand and set me free set me forever free and come with terrible silence in your eyes to that dim monument where Tybalt lies
3: no rose that in a garden ever grew in homer's or in omar's or in mine though buried under centuries of fine dead dust of roses shut from sun and dew forever and forever lost from view but must again in fragrance rich as wine the gray isles of the air incarnadine when the old summers surge into anew thus when i swear i love with all my heart tis with the heart of lilith that i swear "'Tis with the love of Lesbia and Lucrece. "'And thus as well, my love must lose some part of what it is, "'had Helen been less fair, or perished young, "'or stayed at home in Greece.'"
2: Is it summer that you crave, swallows dipping wing, evening light across the wave, or some farther thing? Some report of happier places, golden times and lands, new and wonder-laden faces, new and eager hands? (laughs) Nay, you know not. But I know round you cold is furled, like this shroud of trampled snow smothering the world where no trust in any spring now can heal or save, nor the icy sunlight bring swallows o'er the wave.
3: When I too long have looked upon your face, wherein for me a brightness unobscured, save by the mists of brightness, has its place, and terrible beauty not to be endured. I turn away, reluctant from your light, and stand irresolute, a mind undone, a silly, dazzled thing, deprived of sight from having looked too long upon the sun. Then is my daily life a narrow room, in which, a little while, uncertainly, surrounded by impenetrable gloom, among familiar things grown strange to me, making my way. I pause, and feel, and hark, till I become accustomed to the dark.
2: They brought me tidings. I did not hear more than a fragment of the words they said. Their further speech died dull upon my ear. For my rapt spirit otherwhere had fled, fled unto you in other times and places. Old memories winged about me in glad flight, I saw your lips of longing and delight. Your grave, glad eyes beyond their chattering faces. I saw a world where you have been to me more than the sun, more than the waking wind. I saw a brightness that they could not see, and yet I seemed as smitten deaf and blind. I heard but fragments of the words they said. Life wanes, the sunlight darkens. You are dead.
3: you as well must die beloved dust and all your beauty stand you in no stead this flawless vital hand this perfect head this body of flame and steel before the gust of death or under his autumnal frost shall be as any leaf be no less dead than the first leaf that fell this wonder fled altered estranged disintegrated, lost, nor shall my love avail you in your hour. In spite of all my love, you will arise upon that day and wander down the air obscurely as the unattended flower, it mattering not how beautiful you were or how beloved above all else that dies.
2: tragic bird, whose bleeding feet, whose maddened wings dizzily beat against your cage in agony, soon, soon to win your liberty. Still you believe that happiness dwells just beyond the bars you press, that if a sudden miracle gave your desire, life would be well. The old, old dream. The old, old lure. The devil plays. His stakes are sure, with happiness he baits his gin that still mankind shall perish in. And still we trust our hearts could be blessed by the distant liberty, blind to the newer agony. The earth will be a frozen coal before man knows his traitor soul.
3: beloved have you thought of this how in the years to come unscrupulous time more cruel than death will tear you from my kiss and make you old and leave me in my prime how you and I who scale together yet a little while the sweet immortal height no pilgrim may remember or forget as sure as the world turns Some granite night shall lie awake and know the gracious flame gone out forever on the mutual stone and call to mind that on the day you came, I was a child and you a hero grown. And the night pass and the strange morning break upon our anguish for each other's sake.
2: Grey-robed wanderer in sleep, Wanderer. You also move among those silent halls, Dim on the shore of the unsailed deep, And your footfalls, yours also wanderer, Faint through those twilight corridors of Rome. Of late my eyes have seen, wanderer, Amid the shadow's gloom of that deep girdled place, I should have known such joy could not have been to see your face. And yet, wanderer, what hopes seem vain beneath the light and bloom? Wearily I awake, wanderer. Your look of old despair, like a dying star, in morning vanishes. But for all memory's sake, though you are far tonight, oh wanderer, Tonight, come, though in silence, to the shadows there.
3: As to some lovely temple, tenantless long since, that once was sweet with shivering grass, knowing well its altars ruined and the grass grown up between the stones, Yet from excess of grief, hard-driven, or great loneliness, the worshiper returns. And those who pass marvel him crying on a name that was. So it is now with me, in my distress. Your body was a temple to delight. Cold are its ashes once the breath is fled. Yet here one time your spirit was wont to move. Here might I hope to find you day or night. And here I come to look for you, my love, even now, foolishly, knowing you are dead.
2: I saw my grandmother's shadow on the wall in firelight. It danced. With queer grimaces, as if her serious soul were making faces at me, or life, or God, or at us all. And I, an urchin lying at her feet, then caught my first glimpse of the secret powers that stir beneath this universe of ours, making a witch's carnival when they meet. Across the firelit dusk, My sensitive mood dreamed out to mingle with the waifs of time, whose unsolved stories haunt the poet's rhyme, and in dark streets of ancient cities brood, like sudden ghosts rising above the grime, with beauty and with terror that chills the blood.
3: Cherish you then, the hope I shall forget at length, my lord, Pieria. Put away, for your so-passing sake, this mouth of clay these mortal bones against my body set, for all the puny fever and frail sweat of human love. Renounce for these, I say, the singing mountain's memory, and betray the silent lyre that hangs upon me yet. Ah, but indeed, some day shall you awake, rather, from dreams of me, that at your side so many nights a lover and a bride but stern in my soul's chastity have lain to walk the world forever for my sake and in each chamber find me gone again
2: It does not seem so many years ago, those nights when I lay shivering in my bed and saw the candlelight round my aunt's head casting its hazy, sanctifying glow, and heard her read strange story after story of Jonah, Adam, Moses, Asa, Ruth, of Solomon's old age and David's youth, things haunting, tender, terrible, or gory, Still can I see the queen of Sheba's hair, and all real lions are but mockery to him who once knew Daniel's. There's no tree that can with Eve's great paradise tree compare. A golden light gleams through that ancient air that leaves me homesick in modernity.
3: Love has gone and left me, and the days are all alike. Eat I must, and sleep I will, and would that night were here. But ah, to lie awake and hear the slow hours strike. Would that it were day again, with twilight near. Love has gone and left me, and I don't know what to do. This or that or what you will is all the same to me. But all the things that I begin, I leave before I'm through. There's little use in anything, as far as I can see. Love has gone and left me, and the neighbors knock and borrow, and life goes on forever like the gnawing of a mouse. And tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, there's this little street and this little house.
2: i am weary of being bitter am weary of being wise and the armor and the mask of these fall from me after long i would go where the islands sleep or where the sea dawns rise and lose my bitter wisdom in the wisdom of a song there are magics and melodies unknown of the sages the powers of purest wonder on secret wings go by Doubtless, out of the silence of dumb preceding ages, song woke the chaos world, and light swept the sky. All that we know is idle, idle is all we cherish, idle the will that takes loads that proclaim it strong, for the knowledge, the strength, the burden, all shall perish. One thing only endures, one thing only, song.
3: little sorrow born of a little sin I found a room all damp with gloom and shut us all within and little sorrow weep said I and little sin pray God to die and I upon the floor will lie and think how bad I've been alas for pious planning it mattered not a whit as far as gloom went in that room the lamp might have been lit My little sorrow would not weep. My little sin would go to sleep. To save my soul, I could not keep my graceless mind on it. So up I got in anger and took a book I had and put a ribbon on my hair to please a passing lad. And one thing there's no getting by, I've been a wicked girl, said I. But if I can't be sorry, why... I might as well be glad.
0: This has been Genesius Guild's classic drama on the air. Join us next time for more. Many thanks to those whose contributions have made this possible. The opening and closing music for King Arthur's Socks was Billy Murray performing I'll Do It All Over Again in a recording from 1914. The background music during the poetry reading was Bach's Aria Variata in A Minor, BWV 989, performed by Brendan Kinsella the theme music for the entire program was chopin's waltz in a flat major opus 69 number one performed by olga gurievich thanks especially to the performers whose voices you have been hearing on this broadcast in king arthur's socks chelsea ward as gwen liz sager as vivian misha hooker as lancelot and john turner as the narrator in the poetry reading john turner read poems by arthur davison Fick and Liz Sager read poems by Edna St. Vincent Millay. This is your host, Misha Hooker, signing off until next time.